For this series, I create, present, and aggregate historical content for all to enjoy. When aggregating relevant materials, I peruse the many sources to identify what might be interesting to share with you. In the case of a pertinent audio recording, I listen to it many times before editing to fit my style and hopefully satisfy my audience. When I do turn to outside sources, I always provide attribution info during the program or in the show notes. Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. The Bible is the most significant book in the Western canon. It's also the book upon which the post-antiquity Western civilization was built upon. Let's delve into the origins of this immensely important and influential book. Gary Stevens of the History in the Bible podcast shares with us his views on this remarkable book. In this special episode, we examine the Old Testament as we continue our deep survey of the Bible in search of the historical Jesus. Until the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the manuscripts we had of the Septuagint were by far the oldest version of the Bible in existence. It became enormously influential because it established the concepts needed to render Jewish thought into the more cosmopolitan language of Greek, which would become the second language of the Roman Empire. And the Septuagint remained a lasting inspiration. With its aid, Alexandrian Jews became the only people to produce a Greek literature rivaling the output of the Greeks themselves in size and range. For the first time, Jewish ideas had a way to penetrate into non-Jewish cultures. The Septuagint became the Bible of choice to the huge number of Jews in Alexandria, in place of the Hebrew texts that most could not read. For many Jews, it was the only Bible they knew. It was the version that the writers of the New Testament quoted from, but it contained a number of books that the rabbis would later decide should not be in the Masoretic canon. These included Tobit, Judith, 1 and 2 Maccabees, the Wisdom of Solomon, Ben Sira, also known as Sirach, or Ecclesiasticus, Baruch, and longer versions of Esther and Daniel. The Church eventually accepted this larger canon, although there was argument for centuries whether to include books omitted from the Masoretic text. The Church also reorganized the Tanakh. The Torah remained intact, the five most sacred books. The former prophets in Nevim, Joshua to Kings, became known as the historical writings. To this section, the Church added Ruth, Ezra, and Chronicles, which the Jews, deeply unimpressed by all three, had relegated to Ketuvim, the writings. The church kept the division of the latter prophets in Nevim, but added to it the book of Daniel and the books of Baruch and Lamentations, on the grounds that these were associated with the prophet Jeremiah. The rest of the Ketuvim, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Esther, became known as the wisdom literature. The church also split each of the books of Samuel, Kings, Chronicles and Ezra into two, and divided the single book of the twelve prophets into, well, twelve. This gives us the 46 books found in the modern Catholic Old Testament. The Orthodox canons have a few more books. 1 Esdras, also known as 3 Esdras, the Prayer of Manasseh, Psalm 151, and 3 and 4 Maccabees. And finally, Russian Orthodox Bibles throw in 2 Esdras, which is also known as 4 Esdras, or sometimes as 3 Esdras. The Septuagint is the basis of all Orthodox Bibles, not only for deciding the books of the canon, but also for the actual text, which sometimes disagrees with the Masoretic text, even when taking into account that the Septuagint is a translation into Greek. Samuel, Jeremiah, Daniel and Esther are markedly different, 
and there are curious variations scattered through Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua and Kings. Other Christians and the Jews favour the Masoretic text. The Bible used by Catholics until the middle of the 20th century was the Vulgate, a translation that St. Jerome made from Hebrew into Latin in the dying years of the Roman Empire, around the year 400 AD. He decided to use the best Hebrew texts he had and to ignore the Septuagint as much as possible. He'd already tried to translate the Greek Septuagint into Latin, but threw up his hands in disgust. Why make a translation of a translation when the Hebrew books were ready to hand? By the time Jerome wrote, the Jews had long rejected the Septuagint as riddled with error. Christians and Jewish Christians made too much trouble by finding irksome passages in the Septuagint that annoyed the Jewish scholars. Those Greek passages just had to go. Jerome knew quite well that the Septuagint contained books not in the Tanakh. He included these books in the Vulgate, but he wasn't happy about it. Jerome was wary of any book he could not find in Hebrew. He called them Apocrypha, Greek for hidden, although there is nothing hidden about them. But his fan base demanded translations of all the books of the Septuagint, even those for which no version in Hebrew existed. Catholics and the Orthodox now call the books that so vexed Jerome the Deuterocanonicals, the second canon, but certainly not second-rate. They appear in Catholic English printed Bibles interspersed with the rest of the Old Testament. Wisdom of Solomon and Silak are placed after Song of Songs in the wisdom literature. And Balak, named after Jeremiah's scribe, is placed with the prophets, after Jeremiah and Lamentations. In the New American Bible revised edition, Tobit, Judith, Esther and the books of Maccabees are placed into a section coyly labelled Biblical Novellas, between the historical books and the wisdom literature. Protestants use Jerome's term and call these books the Apocrypha, implying they are, indeed, second-rate and rather suspect. If they appear in printed Protestant Bibles at all, they appear as a single block between the Old and New Testaments. You can thank Martin Luther for that. He thought the apocryphal books supported everything he detested, indulgences and the notion of purgatory. Citing St. Jerome, he returned to the canon of the Tanakh in his German translation of the Bible in 1534. The new faiths of the Reformation followed suit. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. In the English-speaking world, 70 years after Luther's Bible, the tremendously influential King James Version of 1611 placed the apocryphal books in a separate section. Few English-language Protestant Bibles include them today. The Anglican churches are a little more flexible and permit the apocryphal books to be used for instruction, but not as a source of doctrine. Passages from Balok and Silak are even included in the weekly readings, the lectionaries. Catholics reserve the term Apocrypha for the least popular texts, the ones found only in Greek or Slavonic Bibles, 3 and 4 Maccabees, the Prayer of Manasseh, Psalm 151, and 1 and 2 Esdras, or 3 and 4 Esdras, depending how you count. So we have two textual traditions, the Masoretic 
and the Septuagint, which is the real one, the one that shows us the authentic Bible as it was written. Jews are absolutely insistent that the Masoretic text is the word of God and cannot be changed by a single letter, even when the Hebrew makes no sense. 1 Samuel 13.1, for example, says, Saul was years old upon his becoming king, and for years he reigned as king over Israel. This makes no sense as it stands, since the numbers are missing before the two words years. This verse is not in the Septuagint at all, which starts chapter 13 with verse 2. It was partly to clear up such confusions that the Masoretes constructed their system of marginal comments. In Jewish communities, the Hebrew text has always been central, even when many Jews did not understand the Hebrew. Those who translated the text produced a version that was markedly influenced by Hebrew phrasing, idiom and syntax. Judaism insists on preserving some familiarity with the Hebrew text and language. This explains the prominence of Jewish versions that display the Hebrew and English on facing pages. Even when the Hebrew is not physically present, it is typically brought to the reader's attention through numerous notations and references, and this my Jewish study Bible does, with extensive commentary on every page. Orthodox Christians argue that the Septuagint preserves the oldest and most reliable tradition. Until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, their argument had indeed some force, since the oldest manuscripts of the Septuagint dated back to the late Roman Empire, 500 years older than the oldest Masoretic manuscripts. If the Septuagint was good enough for the Gospel writers, the Orthodox argue, it is good enough for the faithful. And the Orthodox also contend that the Septuagint is the inspired word of God, and that where the Masoretic text differs, it is because of Jewish tampering. I suppose that tampering is one way to describe it, but it's not a helpful one. Dozens of versions of the biblical books floated around the Greek states and later the Roman Empire, as the Dead Sea Scrolls attest. There was no such thing as a correct version although most Jews and Christians felt that somewhere out there was an ideal and perfect text. But in the end, the compilers of the Septuagint used the manuscripts they in fact used, and so did the scribes who worked on the Masoretic texts. Most of the Dead Sea Scrolls follow the Masoretic tradition, but there are also scraps that follow the Septuagint, and scraps that follow neither. The scant texts we find a few generations after the Dead Sea Scrolls all follow the Masoretic tradition, which leads us to believe that the text of each book had gelled by 150 AD the height of the Roman Empire. Where the Jews and the Eastern Orthodox are inflexibly adamantine about the authenticity of their own textual traditions, the Protestants and Catholics are much more relaxed. The New American Bible, revised edition, is based on the Masoretic text, but its compilers also went to the Septuagint and to the Dead Sea Scrolls, where they felt those provided better readings. In Christianity, translation was present from the start. Although Jesus spoke Aramaic, his words were preserved and disseminated in Greek. Translation was fundamental to Christianity from the very beginning, an essential part of its mission to bring its holy scriptures to the Greek and Latin speakers of the Roman Empire. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, 
less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.